Hello. You made it in the cold. Holy moly. Is this Texas or are we in Alaska? I woke up this morning and it was 60 or something. And now all of a sudden it's 40s. Yeah, 38. Sorry. Correct me. So good evening. I'm Liz Brailsford, World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth President and CEO. I am so happy to see all of you here. Thank you for coming. Just going to make a note to myself. So I want to start tonight, as always, for thanking our fabulous and generous Global Forum sponsor, the Billingsley Company. We would not be doing what we do without them, so thank you very much. We also have a couple of uh, distinguished guests with, our, with us this evening that I'd like to name. We have Council Member Gay Donald Will Willis of District 13. We have Council Member Adam McGue of District 10. And then we have Liliana Treyes, the Consul General of Peru. Very nice to see all of you as usual. Thank you for coming. We also have a new member this evening, Mr. Evan Stone. Thank you so much. You are what make our council what it is. We need new members. Thank you for joining us. We also have an upgraded Contributor Circle member, Patrick Esker. I did not say that right, but I'm happy to see you. I want to see you a lot more. Thank you both for joining us this evening. We also have board members here tonight, which I am so pleased about. So thank you, Peter Lowe of Foley and Lardner for joining us. Brian Boyla, thank you, of Frost Bank. We have Kirk Teske of HKS, thank you. Maisie Hyken, right here in the front row. I'm so happy to see you, thank you. A lot of people to thank. And then finally, we have two guests with us this evening, Adele Hussein, thank you very much for joining us and Lauren Fasik, I got that right, thank you. As a global forum program this evening, many of you know our longtime employees. And this is the first uh, week, the first program we've had without our longtime Rachel Vogel, who is with us for over 10 years in programs. And I have to say that her replacement Kirsten Kullenberg, who's also been with us for about four years. This is her very first event in her new role, and she did it all by herself because we're in transition in her department. We've hired two new people, but she's done all of this on her own. So Kirsten. I am proud of you. So the council is committed to keeping you as safe as possible within our capacity to do so, so you can check out our website to see all of our health and safety practices at dfwworld.org. It's got a lot of information on there. You want to go check it out. Uh, mark your calendars. I want to tell you about a couple of programs that we have coming up, global forum programs. One is Thursday, February 24, and we are going to take a private tour of the Octavio Medellin Spirit and Form exhibit with our partners, the DMA. They're fabulous. Anthony Francis has seen it, sounds like. 
we'll take note. This will include an art and talk overview from the exhibit's curator, Mark Castro, and then we'll have an open hour to explore the gallery. So don't miss that. It's awesome. And then also Tuesday, March 1st, is and the first event of our 2022 International Perspectives series is featuring Maria Fernanda Bozmowski of the Atlantic Council from DC on the subject, the Northern Triangle. Should we pivot to the South? So the International Perspective Series is a long time series that we have done at the Council, and it's presented in partnership with our friends, the American Jewish Committee of Dallas. There's usually four of these. We are so happy to partner with you all. Thank you, thank you for being here. That's March 1st. So you can register for our programs at dfwworld.org. I think that's the third time. I hope you're getting it. Anyway, before we start, uh, check your phones, electronic devices, make sure they're silenced. Okay, so in a moment, I am going to invite our moderator, our fabulous, wonderful moderator, Gina Miller, to the podium to introduce our esteemed guest speaker of the evening. Gina is an award-winning journalist who is currently the Vice President of Media and Communications for FC Dallas, North Texas SC, the National Soccer Hall of Fame, and Toyota Stadium. Gina started her sports media career as an intern for the Houston Rockets. I love that. Uh, Kirsten was an intern with us as well. We're, uh, you haven't done this, though, and I apologize. Uh, Gina won an NBA championship ring and has served as a sportscaster in Dallas, Los Angeles, Knoxville, and Guam, which we just got to talk about. She has also hosted the Dallas Mavericks, Dallas Cowboys, Dallas Stars, and Texas Rangers pre- and post-game shows with Derek Harper, Randy White, Brent Severin, and Mark McLemore, respectively. She has been nominated for multiple Lone Star Emmy Awards and won a prestigious Edward R. Murrow Award, who we've also had at our council in the early days. We have a photo of it. Uh, for a feature story that she did on the South Lake Carroll football team. So I know that we are in for a treat, and this is a perfect person to moderate this evening's conversation. Thank you for being here, Dan. I'm so excited about this. Thanks again, and we'll, we'll listen to this conversation. Thank you, Liz. That is such a great introduction. It is so great to see everybody here tonight. I want to say bonjour, bonsoir, hola, half a day. That's what they say in Chamorro when you work in Guam. I used to say half a day Guam. I'm Gina Miller, Miller Light Sports page. Um, it's true. It's true. And everywhere I went in Guam, they thought I was part of the Miller dynasty, and I've told this story to Liz already. They would give me a Miller beer everywhere I went, thinking that I was part of the Miller family. And, and God bless Barry Andrews. Who knows Barry Andrews in here? He runs the Miller distributorship. Best guy ever. I, I just don't drink Miller beer now. You know, way too much when I was in Guam, but that's not a testament to the product. That's a test to my overindulgence back when I was 22 or so. It is such a treat to see everybody here today. I mean, it really is. And, and thank you for braving the weather. Thank you for wanting to learn more about what the World Cup opportunity is in 2026, as well as a little bit more about some, some people who have really uh, been a part of the defining moments in our sports history, not just the United States, but truly around the world. I mean, imagine having 
a front row seat to moments that have defined our sports culture. That's exactly what Dan Hunt has had. Whether it was creating professional opportunities in the United States with icons like John McEnroe and Chris Everett Lloyd, that happened thanks to World Championship Tennis, or helping bring the World Cup to the United States right here in North Texas in 1994. I know we have a credential from the 94 World Cup. Terry, where are you? Right there. It, we, we're going to get you to show this in just a little bit because this is so cool. It's got a 94 volunteer credential from the World Cup. Or coming up with the term Super Bowl. You're getting all these stories and so much more. Uh, Dan Hunt currently serves as the president of FC Dallas, a role he's held since 2014. Also serves as a member of Major League Soccer's Board of Governors as well as the league's Business Ventures committee. He is my boss and he has to office right next to me and hear me blather on in a very loud tone every single day. And he's going to talk about all these things and so much more over the course of the next few minutes. Please welcome Dan Hunt. Okay, I have to ask, how many soccer fans are here? I feel like everyone's hand is, oh my oh, God, there we yes! Go. <laughs> okay, give yourselves a round of applause. Thank there, you. There we Should go. we say football? Who, who, who would rather me say football? I already, yeah, heard, yeah. Of, <laughs> I, I already heard of football tonight from somebody, so Absolutely. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So there's so much that we can dive into uh, with Dan, and I really did gloss over your resume and CV because we want to get into the meat of this entire conversation. He also oversaw the $58 million renovation of the National Soccer Hall of Fame at Toyota Stadium. It's our sort of pro football hall of fame. It's our Canton right here in North Texas. So if you haven't gotten the chance to go up there, I know we're working with Kirsten who has done a phenomenal job to reiterate what Liz said just a moment ago. Kirsten's just done the most amazing job helping us get this event um, kicked off this evening. So let's just start at the beginning. I'm sorry it's not a Miller Lite. Does that kick it <laughs> no, off right, okay. right there? It's okay. <laughs> I, I like the water. I'm good with the water. So your family has a little bit of history in sports. Just a little Just bit. a little bit. When you look at that history, it's pretty extensive. How did your father start in the sports business? You know, my father, Lamar, was, was such a fan of sports always. And, and he would tell you that um, he, he played football at SMU and played it poorly because he sat on the bench behind a couple of pro football Hall of Famers. But, but it really dates back to even as a small child growing up at White Rock Lake uh, out at Mount Vernon. Um, he, he would get all of the neighborhood kids together and they would organize and he organized sports leagues and he would create games for the entire neighborhood to play and he would handicap those games and make sure that there were drafts and he'd put teams that had competitive balance together and that was just who he was and, and he, he loved all sports he was a fan and obviously he played football at SMU he played uh, baseball they had freshman baseball at SMU when he was there in the 1950s, but sports was his passion. I mean, oil, oil and gas was in his blood. And I see these unbelievable photos of my father traveling around the world with his brothers looking for oil and gas. But, you know, he, he sort of left that part of the business uh, to follow his true passion, which was at the time American football and the founding of the AFL. And it, it's really hard to believe that in 1959, as a 27-year-old, he founded he created the founding document to the American Football League, which he created on American Airlines stationery. Who remembers when Air American Airlines had stationery? <laughs> you, you know, you can't even get peanuts now because you have, might have a nut allergy or something on it. So, the, and, and we still have those documents, and it, it, it's just really cool stuff. It's kind of like the Magna Carta of football in this country, and, and the story is so cool. But he 
always had a passion for it. And, you know, his older brothers, uh, you know, they encouraged it. I mean, you see these great photos of my father out exercising, running, you know, trying to train for football in college. And, and my Uncle Bunker would be riding in the car, you know, with the window rolled down yelling at my dad. I mean, we have those photos. And, and you know, he just loved sports. He loved bringing people together. And I think, you know, you look at somebody's sports career, and I know Gina will talk about it, but for me, in 1972, he was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I wasn't born yet, but in 72, he, his acceptance speech, he accepted it on behalf of the football fans of America. He accepted his induction. And that was a man who understood that the fans really make all of these sports. Um, and and I, I just that, that for me really is a beacon as I go through life and think about sports and how we grow what we're doing. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the history of soccer and, and, and some basketball things too. But to understand really that the fans were at the core and to continue to innovate and to bring them in and make it special, my father was way ahead of his time doing that. They're kind of the ultimate sports fans because their involvement in so many different sports leagues and, and entities is vast. And please get your questions going here because in about 20 minutes or so, we're going to open this up to questions. So please, please um, think of some questions that, that I am not asking and things that you want to learn more about. But uh, we all know the Kansas City Chiefs, right? Pat Mahomes, that guy from East Texas. He might be a kind of decent quarterback or so. Um, but let's there, start there with you go. <laughs> very good. Very good. White House. Um, let's start with the Chiefs, who started as the Dallas Texans, who went on to become the Kansas City Chiefs. And you mentioned, you know, those those starting documents, those American Airlines. You can napkin. Google you can literally <laughs> Google them. You you go hop on Google and look yeah. at the documents that he drafted by hand. And, and you know, how this happened was the Chicago Cardinals, all right, so the Arizona Cardinals before they were the St. Louis Cardinals were in Chicago, and my dad had found out that they might be for sale. And he, he literally, he flew actually to my, to Florida, to Miami. The owner of the Cardinals was out there, and he went to him, knocked on the door, actually scheduled a meeting. I don't think he just showed up and knocked on, although that would have been my dad's style, to just show up and knock on somebody's door and said, hey, I, I want to buy the team. It's funny, I, I see Ray back here, Tommy, who, who worked with our family for an incredibly long time and, and so thankful for our relationship with Ray and, and, and all the great times that we had. So it's always, it's nice to see friends here. But, you know, the parting comment was, no, I'm not selling you my football team, but you're one of several people to come see me. I've had like six, seven, eight, nine people come see me. Dallas Baptist University is a global Christ-centered institution whose students are making an impact in business, law, medicine, education, public service, and the list goes on. DBU is honored to sponsor the Global IQ podcast, and to offer a significant scholarship for World Affairs Council members towards a master's in international studies. For further information about this scholarship or about DBU in general, email Lee Bratcher at leeb at dbu.edu. And so my dad's writing back from that meeting and he said, well, if I can get all those people's contact information, we can start our own football league because my father had tried forever and ever and ever to get the NFL to put a franchise in Dallas. He said, I've got the money, I've got the resources, 
I'll put a football team, a professional football team in, in Dallas. And the NFL's response was, Dallas is a terrible place for professional football. Can you repeat that, please? I mean, Dallas <laughs> is a terrible place for professional football. The NFL missed the mark a little yeah, bit on that. Yeah. And, and so he was able to contact these gentlemen, and they rounded up, and they started what was the AFL. And the NFL at the time, and, and this would, again, Ray, I defer to my attorney over here, uh, <laughs> the, this whole antitrust thing, they went and offered every other owner in the NFL or the AFL a franchise except for my father. Uh, they tried to put my dad out of business, which was not a good plan because my dad, if anybody knew my dad, he, he was determined. He never gave up on anything, and he had the resources. And everybody stuck together except for the owners of the Minnesota Vikings. They bailed. Minnesota was going to be an original AFL team, and they bailed and went and took the NFL offer. So when we beat them in Super Bowl four, it felt really good. <laughs> this is a fun fact that I want you to explain because I'm not sure everybody Everybody knows this. Where did the name Kansas City Chiefs come from? Anybody know this before we go there? I bet nobody in the room does. Oh, oh I love this. Okay. So, so it's Good. obviously the Midwest, and, and there's a gigantic Native American influence, but that's not where the name came from. The Chiefs were the Dallas Texans, and so they were here in 60, 61, 62, and moved after three years. Well, the mayor of Kansas City at the time that lured my dad there um, and was willing to do a season ticket campaign and put him in a stadium and work towards eventually having our own stadium there <clears throat> was a man named Roe Bartle. And Roe Bartle's nickname was The Chief. And so when we did a survey there, it was overwhelmingly by the citizens to name the team the Chiefs. We did a, uh, my dad did early day market research, which which was, <laughs> hey, what do you think? I, what, what, what should we call this team? But but Roe was an incredibly powerful figure in the politics of Kansas City, and it really is an honor of what he did in bringing the franchise to Kansas City, and that's why we're the Kansas City Chiefs, after Roe Bartle, the chief. Well, your father and your family have a love of football and football, both both types, if you will. Can you detail how your father got into soccer, huh. football, and, and what his vision was for bringing it here to North America and how it started? You know, I mean, for a guy, East Texas, oil field family, um, f American football, baseball, soccer was a million miles away, right? I mean, you can't even you can't even draw a correlation there. But my mother was a Rotary scholar, so she went to the University of North Texas, also known at that time as North Texas State. Um, and she went on, and my mother's – I get emotional talking about it because my, my mother is probably my favorite person in the entire world. She is an incredibly special human being. In fact, I had the great pleasure of taking her to her 56th Super Bowl on Sunday, the only one, woman to see every single Super Bowl. She, she's had a little bit of trouble with, with her leg, and, and actually she had surgery yesterday on her leg again. And the good news is it went, went well. 
Um, and this is sort of a three and a half year battle that we've had. But without my mom, without her effort, without her energy, without her encouragement, I am, I clearly believe that football in this country would not be the same. Soccer in this country would not be the same. Basketball would not be the same. World championship tennis would not be the same without her constant effort and pushing and supporting and making things happen while also taking care of our entire household. So I, my mother is a really special person um, and a go-getter. I mean, my mother had no resources, no opportunities. Opportunities, um, and when I say no opportunities, her opportunity to go to college was on an academic scholarship. Her family couldn't send her to school, and so my mother had perfect grades, and she went to school, and she was president of Chi Omega, and I mean, she graduated, I think, a 4.0 from North Texas State. I mean, driven and determined a person to accomplish great things, and Jimmy knows her, Gina knows her, the whole staff, Chip knows her back there, and, and she's just one of the most pleasant human beings to be around and always encouraging and always positive. I'm, I'm so thankful because, you know, there are dark days we all live through, right, in business and in life, and she is an unbelievable rock to have. And so I, I'm convinced the sports landscape wouldn't be what it is today without her. And I have strongly encouraged the Pro Football Hall of Fame to recognize what I would call the first women uh, of the game of football. The beauty of the National Soccer Hall of Fame is we recognize both the women's and men's game equally you know and frankly the women deserve more space than the men but that's something I'm super proud of I have two daughters one six and one three and I'm excited that they're great role models like that but the NFL wouldn't be I mean you have you know Mrs. Mara Mrs. Rooney I mean Mrs. Ford you know I mean you have these great women Mrs. McCaskey um, which is George Hallis's daughter Mrs. McCaskey still goes to Bears games at 94 95 96 and she's a, a lovely neat person to be around too but without these women pushing it along and growing these things sports in this country wouldn't be it and it's not just football it's there are plenty of other sports but my mother was a rotary scholar she went to the university of college of dublin she actually was translating uh ancient uh irish stories um that were i guess in uh gaelic and she was helping translate those folk tales to english so they wouldn't be lost forever that was part of the program she's doing but my father went over visited and saw a shamrock rovers match and that was his first soccer game. And this is in about 63 is, is, is the best we can tell. And then it's 1966. My dad goes to the World Cup final in England and immediately decides that America is ready for professional soccer, specifically Dallas. <laughs> and so you wind up with the Dallas Tornado in 1967. Well, he was about 40 years too early. <clears throat> but he had the vision for it. And he loved it. He loved the passion of the, of the fans. And he also loved that unlike American football or even baseball, moms and dads and brothers and sisters could all play soccer together and kick a ball around. So you talk about you know the World Cup and those experiences. Uh, your father, along with the late, great Jim Graham, was also uh, critically involved, heavily involved. They're responsible for bringing the World Cup to North America, to Dallas in 1994. How many people went to the World Cup in 94? Oh, wow. That is awesome. That is awesome. Terry has his credential from the 94 World Cup, his volunteer credential. Vous parlez français, oui, oui. And it has on there that he spoke French, which is so cool so that people visiting North Texas could understand um, who spoke their language to help them translate and get around, which I I think is just so amazing. Um, Walk us through what that 94 experience was like. 
bringing so many people together as we track towards 2026, which we're going to get into in just a moment. That 1994 experience, I know you were young then, <laughs> but um, what that I was... I had a sweet mullet <laughs> in 1994. <laughs> that, that sweet mullet is gone. But that was just so envelope pushing. I mean, I was a news person. I was in college, and I, and I just remember watching Dale Hansen say, this supposedly is the biggest sporting event in the world, but it's not Cowboys training camp. You know, I mean, just, that was so authentic and so true at that time. I worked with Dale for three years. We're still very good friends. But... Um, Walk us through what that was like, the challenges and, and, the, and the reception that he had and, and how important the World Cup in 94 was to soccer in this country. Yeah, I mean, who, who knew Jim Graham here, who used on the Dallas sidekicks? Did anybody know Jim? Really a neat man um, and passionate about soccer. Again, you would look at him and his story, an oil and gas guy. Then you say there's no chance on this whole soccer thing. But he fell in love with the game, but – my father, Lamar, and Jim were co-chairs of the 94 World Cup here in Dallas. And those games were played at the Cotton Bowl. Um, and we also had the good fortune of having the International Broadcast Center there at Fair Park, too, which was really a unique opportunity um, for our community. And, you know, you're, you're bringing a bunch of people together who love soccer and truly love soccer because they were passionate about it and wanted to grow in this country. And I mean, I, I think back, so I've been to every World Cup since 1986. Um, and, and just having that experience and my brother has been to every World Cup uh, since 1974. My brother Clark is chairman of the Kansas City bid and, and I'm chairman of the Dallas bid. So Thanksgiving was incredibly awkward this year. <laughs> so, and Ray knows Clark and so he understands that. Um, but it, to see how novel it was in 1994, and I was a ball boy. So there's something with the Dallas Classic League, a uh, gigantic soccer league at the time, and now there is academy soccer and USYSA. And look, at, Jimmy's over here smiling. Jimmy's my right and left hand at FC Dallas. He's our CFO, COO, and keeps me out of a lot of trouble at FC Dallas. But we've been through this youth soccer journey, and you see how it's evolved. And I'm a product of the youth soccer movement here. You had all these guys from the Dallas Tornado that stuck around with their families and started great soccer clubs. I played for Flame Soccer Club and Bobby Moffitt. And then I eventually played for Comets. I played for a guy named Chaz Bradley, and then I played for Hassan Nazari at the Texans, who also came to this country and played in the NASL. Um, and that's how he got his start you know, here, here in America. But it still was so novel in 1994. People just really didn't know what they were showing up to. They had passion. It was at the Cotton Bowl. Um, and we had the great fortune to have the quarterfinal in Dallas, the, the Brazil-Holland quarterfinal, which Brazil won 3-2, which is one of the greatest five matches of all time for me in a World Cup final. Um, and Gina, Gina got to see this the other day, but um, I bought a Pelé rookie card uh, and I have what's regarded as the best football card collection in the world but my my partner and I shared he's my art dealer and it's inside Canton at the Pro Football Hall of Fame although we just took it down to rest the collection but we have 400,000 pieces of memorabilia including the most extensive AFL collection in the entire world we own the oldest rule book of the game of football and look I do this because I, I love it this is we need to preserve this stuff because otherwise it goes away. There's a reason why the National Soccer Hall of Fame is at our stadium because it was in boxes. It was in Oneota, New York, went out of business, was in boxes in North Carolina. And that's just not acceptable because so many people have given so much to the game of football. So many people have given so much to the game of soccer. We need to honor their legacy. 
But the 58 Pele card is really cool because it was taken at the 58 final in which Brazil won the game, I guess, 3-1. to one. Pele had two second-half goals as a 17-year-old. And these are these cool things to honor this legacy. But in 94, I, I, I go back to it, and you just you see people who, who didn't know what they were seeing, but they were embracing it. And then the cherry on top for us is that we had that Brazil-Holland quarterfinal. And, and we got to share that with our fellow citizens here. And, and really a cool experience. But wow, 2026 is on its way. And now we all have a very different view of soccer in this country. And our fellow citizens do too. And, and what it is, what it means, how global it is. And what the impact of, of bringing a World Cup to Dallas in 2026 can be. So 94 is really credited with helping launch Major League Soccer, which launched in 1996. The Dallas Burn, which is now FC Dallas, was one of the original 10 franchises. And, and you think about 2026, what could that do, in your opinion, for soccer in North America? We're going to dive into where we are in the process and all the nitty-gritty stuff, but give us that panoramic overview right now. Yeah, so Dallas is, is the great benefactor of the World Cup, and this was in my pitch to FIFA. The 66 World Cup final was the reason why we got in professional soccer and started growing it here in Dallas. And this is the richest youth soccer market in the United States because of that. Because of all those mm -hmm. people involved with the Dallas Tornado and Dallas Sidekicks. SMU had so many great soccer programs. My nephew's a freshman soccer player there. My brother played there. I was recruited to play there. We're so blessed to have a great college program here. But... You, you know, you see it kicked, and then that was that was 66. 94 led to the Dallas burn, right? That was the commitment that was sprung off the back of the 94 World Cup. And so you say to yourself, what can 2026 do? You see what two World Cups have done, and I think the the impact is amazing. And, and we, we were talking earlier about it. The International Broadcast Center, if we land that, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, it's a long shot. And the reason it's a long shot is because FIFA wants it all in one big building. And at Fair Park, we don't have one big building uh, that can host all that. Now, we're working on a plan. Jimmy's working on it a lot. Um, and it's great, but the economic impact of the International Broadcast Center would be $100 million for our community. Because the media starts showing up in January, mm -hmm. February, and March for a World Cup. But we're also chasing six, six matches, which will be played at AT&T Stadium. And, and I specifically am competing to get the final here. Um, I don't compete to finish second or third or fourth in life. I compete to win, and I want to win for our community. And having the final here is at the top of my list of things uh, to do. I think the legacy that would leave for the game of soccer here would be phenomenal. And, hey, look, I, I'm a realist. New York is the largest media market in the entire world and the importance of New York. L.A. is the stars and the glamour and the glitz. And so that's what we're competing against. If we get a semifinal, it'll be amazing. But the economic impact of six games and a semifinal or final is well into the billions for our, our city. And like my, my dad... I, I give him so much credit, and it's been a, been a great beacon as I think about things in, in life. It's hard to argue with a guy who's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, National Soccer Hall of Fame, International Tennis Hall of Fame. He's the only person in three major sports halls of fame. And, and, and so when you see that, and then a bunch of them, but he, he was adamant about this. He, he said taxpayers need a return on their investment in these facilities and you need to make sure you can have as many activities as possible so that they can get the return that they deserve and literally when he was in the, po in the hospital and, and, and towards the end of his life 
he just told my brother and I, he just said, guys, make sure that, that at Toyota Stadium and also at Arrowhead that we continue to have college football games. He said it's great for our communities. It's great for our taxpayers. You know, do other events. My father had a love affair with college football. He thought it was the ultimate design. You're only selling six home games. <laughs> he loved bowl games. I mean, Gina talked about the Super Bowl thing, and and, and I, that's the one thing I'm pissed at him about because I wish he'd trademarked it and I'd be laying on a beach drinking pina coladas or something <laughs> fun, fun like that. But, no, um, it, the, the name Super Bowl comes from the fact that he went to 55, we think, consecutive Cotton Bowls. And he would always leave family vacations to keep his streak alive. My dad was big, big on streaks. And so he would go to it. And back in 1966, he's sitting around with a bunch of owners uh, when the AFL and NFL were merging. And they were talking about the championship game, the championship game. And my father just blurted out, you know, the Super Bowl. And the name stuck. Um, and the reason we think it was because of – the love of the Cotton Bowl, plus also Super Bowls, um, which the story he brought my um, my two older siblings, uh, Lamar and Sharon, and my my brother was a baby at the time, but they all got Super Bowls, um, and my mom my mom is the one who actually purchased them, and I guess they were at the AFL Championship game, and so he merged those together. He was incredibly creative, and, um, and the name Super Bowl was here. But I was like, Dad, why didn't you trademark this? <laughs> we could have all retired together. <laughs> So. so 2026 is coming up. It'll be here before we know it. We're in a World Cup year with the World Cup taking place later this year because of the heat in Qatar. Um, it's not taking place in the summer, as we know. First game kicks off November 21st, which happens to be your birthday, by the way. But Dallas and, and 17 host city finalists in the United States are feverishly bidding, competing, finalizing pitches and propositions and, and documents to FIFA, having a lot of Zoom phone calls. FIFA was in town for an extensive site visit. Back in October, they toured the bulk of North Texas, Sundance Square in Fort Worth, Fair Park the, for the International Broadcast Center, a lot of infrastructure in downtown Dallas, Toyota Stadium, National Soccer Hall of Fame, and oh yeah, that jewel in Arlington, AT&T Stadium, which uh, looks great for football. We've seen it retrofitted for soccer and monster trucks, which I think is happening this weekend, WWE, all sorts of events. But FIFA and World Cup matches really are different animals. What needs to happen? And we should find out if we are a host city in probably late May, early June. The timeline keeps keeps fluctuating a little bit because I think we're all dealing with some COVID challenges, understandably. But in terms of the feedback that the Dallas host city bid has gotten from FIFA, what needs to happen to AT&T Stadium and to our region for North Texas to host World Cup matches and a final? Yeah, well, I'll take a step back. We also had them tour Mika Sina and have a bunch of Mambo taxis. <laughs> a few folks were <laughs> so, here, were so, there for that. Yeah, so, so, so that they didn't ask too many questions the next day. It's all part of our strategy. Um, it worked, too. It worked. It worked, it worked, it worked great. So the, the legacy of uh, Mambo Taxi lives on in Zurich right now. It, it so may be in the Hall of Fame it, one it day. It may be in the, hall, in the hall, hall of Fame, fame one, one, day. one day. But um, so soccer is so different. And when I say it's so different – you know, a soccer field is considerably wider than a than a football field. A football field is 53 yards, one foot wide, I believe is, is the math on that. A soccer field, and we don't have – there's not a specific 
number it has to be, but it's between 68 yards wide mm -hmm. and s about 77 or 78 yards wide. And the length also, it's a minimum of about 112 and a max of 122. I think that that's right. So soccer fields are all different sizes all over the world. Well, here, here, here's, here's the issue is all of these stadiums that are being considered are NFL stadiums. So the amount of renovations that hap, have to happen so that we can have soccer matches are considerable. Um, the beauty of AT&T Stadium was it was incredibly well designed um, and, and very thoughtful in how we do it. And so what we'll have to do there at AT&T Stadium is actually raise the field up. And let me, let me tell you, mm -hmm. I, I was just at it so far, and again, a spectacular stadium for the Super Bowl. But AT&T is one of the crown jewels of stadiums anywhere in the entire world. The economic driver that it is and how thoughtful it was done and how – the seating is really a masterpiece when you consider AT&T Stadium. They, they really figured out a model that makes it totally unique to other facilities around. But what we'll have to do is actually put the field on a platform. And this already happens. Mm -hmm. We already do this. AT&T has hosted 22 professional soccer matches, and a lot of those are Gold Cup matches. And what you do is, and for everybody who doesn't know, it's not just a synthetic surface that you see the Cowboys play on. You roll it up, and it's a concrete slab that it sits on. So we will come in with a bunch of lift stations, lift the field up above the retaining wall around. So if you got a front row seat, well, I'm sorry, we're taking your front row seat. Field level suites. Field level suites. We will actually raise the field up above that so that we can get enough width in the field so that we can host a soccer match. We have enough length, but now we'll get width to get it to host it. And AT&T Stadium accommodates somewhere between 91,000 and 101,000 fans. It just depends, including standing room. Mm -hmm. uh, we will lose, our best guess is about 2,800 seats. Which doing is this, nothing. Which is nothing, nothing. compared to other yeah. stadiums. So. I told Gina this, and I think I told Jimmy, although I was coming off of a, a, a long day getting my mom back and forth to the game uh, in the offices, I was shocked. One of our big competitors is SoFi Stadium. And what did I tell you? How many did it see? 70,400 uh, for the Super Bowl. That was a shocking number to me, to see 70,400. Now, it was the largest ticket revenue in the history of the Super Bowl. It was a number that was so stunning when I saw it. I couldn't believe it. And, and it shows what the L.A. market means and why we're so glad to have the NFL back in Los Angeles, right? This is a great driver for the league. But what they will have to do there, my best guess, will cost them between twelve and 15,000 seats. So you guys do the math, and all of a sudden they're below 60,000 seats for a World Cup final. That doesn't work. Mm -hmm. FIFA wants 80, 85, 90. You're at the Americana Stadium in Brazil for the final, which used to seat 110,000 for, for a World Cup final. And I, the last World Cup final I was there for, I think they were well into the 94, 95,000 for the final. And they, they did a major renovation down there and did a great job with the stadium. But, but that's a great advantage for us, how thoughtful AT&T Stadium was done. But it will be on a gigantic platform. It will raise up. We will clear those uh, field-level suites. We will lose a little bit of seats around. And then we will put in a, a 
base system and then put in all the dirt that goes in and all the, you know, or sand, dirt, grass, and we're going to put in a brand new field. Um, and one of our big issues is we're going to be playing inside a, a indoor stadium. And so we will have to constantly manage this field. We will roll out grow lights nonstop. We use grow lights at AT or at uh, Toyota Stadium. Jimmy's shaking his head again because it costs us money. <laughs> so I, this is when you know you have a great <laughs> CFO, COO. And whenever I said something costs us money, he's shaking his head. But but we will do that to make sure that we have the the best field possible. Because in the end, FIFA cares about the economics of it, and they also care about the match integrity of it. They want the quality of the match to be of the highest level. These are the greatest athletes in the entire world, and we want to ensure that we put a product on the field. We're on the global stage, because if you think a lot of people watch the Super Bowl, you'll by that point, you'll have three and a half billion people watch the World Cup final globally, and I want that to happen right here in our own community. So we've talked about some of the things that need to happen but why is Dallas, all of North Texas, really, this region, such a great fit for World Cup matches? Yeah. And, we're, and I'm biased. I'm a Dallas native, born and raised, so I, we, I could wax poetic here. But really get into the nitty-gritty, into what FIFA likes about North Texas. Well, look, we have a rich soccer history. Let's just start with that. Dallas Tornado, Dallas Kicks, SMU, Dallas Burn, FC Dallas, richest youth soccer market around. But we are centrally located in the bid. We're in a city where I, you know, this is fun to talk to. Uh, are you? Uh, can I sell you tickets? I'll, I'll go ahead and sell you tickets. Starting route to AT and T Stadium. No, but 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 great. but but no 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 but. No, no 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 no, and it, it's actually fun fun that you say that because it. it, it we're in a unique city, and this is a gigantic city, but the economics of this city are unreal. You guys have businesses, your business leaders, your political leaders in this crowd. There's nothing like this city. I, I mean, I, I just, I don't, we travel around the world, we do a lot of business, and the, the health of this city and the economy here, we are all so fortunate to be here in, in the Metroplex because there are so many great things happening. But we're smack in the middle, middle of the bid. We have two fabulous airports. We have public transportation. We have a stadium that's world class. And then we're also we have we're proposing not at least nine other venues, including Toyota Stadium and Soccer Center, SMU, University of Texas at Dallas, MoneyGram Soccer Park right here in Dallas. Um, Jimmy, what else? We got Cotton Bowl, yeah, Fair Park as home training venues for national teams. So they will come in and they will spend up to six weeks, two months, building out a home training center in our community. They'll bring their national team. I give this example. Um, in 2018, the German national team, wherever their home training center was um, for that World Cup in, in Russia, they spent 25 million bucks mm -hmm. so that their national team could train for six weeks there. And then the beauty of it is if you get a national team, you get their citizens that come here. And we have amazing hotels. Our hotel price is well below other major markets. We have great restaurants. We have 
fabulous museums here. I mean, I mean, here in Dallas, here in Fort Worth, you know, we, we have great museums. The I guess the Congressional Medal of Honor Museum is opening up in Arlington. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. cool. I mean, what a cool thing for our community. But it's constant innovation that's happening. Pro Museum right here. We're actually doing something really cool at the Lamar Hunt Family Sports Hall on March 2nd. That's a teaser, right? Yeah, we're do, doing something really fun there, too. And so these are these unbelievable jewels in the city, and it's so easy to get to. The people are so friendly and welcoming. This will be a massive success for our community. Um, and so I think that's why we have a great chance here. And, again, I, I want the final. I mean, to have that for our community, and I'm greedy. I, I'm greedy about it, I'm, and I'm not apologetic either because our citizens deserve this. They deserve to have the special things like this. This is what makes this community a great community. If we get a semifinal, it's what was meant to be in it because we have great competitors too. I mean, we're competing against, you know, I've, I mentioned L.A. and SoFi and, and, and New York and MetLife and then San Francisco. Atlanta's got a great bid actually there. Arthur Blank's done a great mm-hmm. job there with Mercedes. Um, and and I, I, I'm sure a number of y'all have seen different NFL games at these stadiums. Um, you know, Miami's got an interesting bid out there. Um, but I, and, I, and let me tell you, my brother's done a fabulous job. I, I, I love my brother and he's my best friend and, and we have so much fun together and a great business partner um, and what he's done with the Chiefs and, and the success that organization's had. But eight, but Arrowhead put an unbelievable bid forward, too. And I, I'm super excited for, for him and our family, too, because the citizens there, they've really embraced soccer. And I think one of my big things on, on, on it, and Gina's heard me speak to this a lot, is I really, really want to have the final here, but I also really, really want Houston to get games because mm-hmm. it's great for our state, and I want Kansas City to get games. Because for the average fan, if you stay in Dallas, you can drive back and forth to both Houston and Kansas City and it makes the experience affordable for fans because you're asking people to come here and spend a lot of money. Um, it's a lot of disposable income. And, and who knows what tickets are going to cost in 2026. I, I tell they, <laughs> They've heard this story. So you guys remember the Stars' heyday when, when they won the Stanley Cup and then the next year when, when they lost in the final? Well, we had four seats in the corner uh, of old Reunion Arena and about four rows up, and my father was told that was an optimal seat for hockey. We didn't know anything about hockey. My, bo- my dad bought seats to support it. He bought seats to everything here to support all that. He was, the, I believe, the first ticket holder of the Dallas Sidekicks. He was the second suite holder at the Meyerson. Um, he was inside the top 20 for the Dallas Mavericks. Um, as a ticket buyer, and he, he just he loved this community and wanted to support it. But we had the seat, and then he bought me a single seat. I was by myself, about the 30-yard line of hockey, which I think I was right by one of the blue lines. And the ticket, and this is, uh, I think it's 2000 The mm-hmm. ticket was 350 ish dollars, all right? And so my father hands me the ticket, and he, and he sort of grabbed me, and he goes, I want this ticket back. Well, that's weird. I had a ticket collection. Gina collected tickets. I collected stamps. I collected coins. I collected, you know, cards and stuff. 
I said, sir, he said, I want the ticket back. And I was like, okay. I was, yeah. So went to the game. Don't even, I can't remember what happened. I gave it back to him, and he looked at it, and he, he put things up in his bathroom at our old house on the mirror. He would tape things up. And we had he had uh, Muhammad Ali's badge from the uh, 1996 Olympics up. It was he, my father spent some time with with him, and it said, "What a wonderful man he really is, and what a great presence." And they spent some time together, and you would have different things, important news clippings up some obituaries of some family members and close friends. And so his mirror kept closing in, closing in, closing <laughs> in. But he put that up there. And I, I said, Dad, why did, why did you put that up there? And he said, this is bad for the fans. It's not affordable. He said, we're pricing our fans hmm. out of sporting events. Um, and so I'm afraid of what ticket prices might, might cost uh, as, as we go forward. But again, you have a guy who understood what the lifeblood of sports really is in this country, and it's, it's the fans that make it so great. So we have just scratched the surface, but I know there are so many great questions. Kirsten has a microphone. Uh, if any of you have a question, although I know we can all project in this room, but we really want to make sure you, we can hear you. Please, please tell us who you are, because we want to get to know you yeah, as I'm, well. You know, Stand so you can see me. I'm Myron Schweitzer, and... Uh, I played soccer in Dallas 42 years. When I was told by the doctor you need a third knee surgery, I retired <laughs> at 74. But I also am thrilled to tell you I was at all the games here in Dallas in 94. Wow. So my question is, how many cities did, hosted games in 94? How many are anticipated to host some games in 26? So... Interesting that I was asked this question earlier about teams. Current format of the World Cup is 32 teams. and But when we get to 2026, the format's expanding to 48 teams. And this is at the first tri-country bid ever. So Canada will have three venues, uh, and Mexico will have three venues, and we will have what we think is 11 venues. 60 of the 80 matches will be played in the United States uh, between the 11 venues. It, it is, and there's, a, there's an, a possible fluctuation in that because Canada may be struggling with one of its venues. Um, and so we may pick up a 12th venue in the United States, and they may drop to two. Given that... Um, uh, Victor Montagliani, who is the head of CONCACAF. So we're in the CONCACAF region. This is our entire region. He's Canadian, and I don't. it's not fathomable that Canada would lose one of its venues. Mm -hmm. So 10 matches will be played in Canada, 10 in Mexico, 60 in the United States, in 11 venues. And I would love to have as many as we can, but when you, when you start to figure out what the big prizes are, the World Cup final or semifinal, then you start working backwards. And I can't imagine having more than six here, um, although – if you know Monica Paul, I'll take one second. Mm -hmm. Monica Paul is the head of the Dallas Sports Commission, um, and she's the woman who is – this is a person who it's well worth your time to at least meet her or say hi or send her a note. She has done a fantastic job for this community recruiting events. We do not miss out on much. We have the Texas Trust Fund, which she's been able to work with, and she's been able to recruit all of these great events that have come here, and she does a great job. We were just at the, the tennis tournament, which she had a hand in. Who went to the tennis tournament here? Anybody go to over at SMU? 
Oh, you guys missed great. out. It, it was, was great. fabulous. I, great. I couldn't believe it. Um, and this, you know, I have a love for tennis because my father's involvement in world championship tennis. But this is a great asset for the community, and they figured out how to maximize it and make it right. But Monica is really a special jewel for this city, and she's she's done a great job of recruiting amazing events here, and she'll keep doing it. But she's leading our charge in the 2026 bid. So to answer your question, and, you know, we may recruit you to play. We may get you out. We may get out in the game. But 60 matches, but we want at least six here. Um, and hopefully it's 11 venues here. And, and like I said, I feel like our big competition is MetLife in New York, SoFi in L.A., and I think Mercedes is the other big one. Good evening. My name is Francesca. And I'm coming from Belgium. Belgium. So I speak French. Oui. <laughs> um, my question is about transportation. Okay. Uh, in my country, we have like buses, metro, and also uh, trains. Um, I'm living about 25 minutes from AT&T. So what is your, what are you going to do with the public transportation when there is like a big game in AT&T Stadium. If, for example, I don't want to take my car and have trouble to go and take the parking and I want to take like a bus or something like that. This is my question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, and, and, and it's a great question. And it's one that's, you know, Dallas sometimes gets an interesting rap. Are you a Club Brugge fan? You're from Belgium? Okay. We spend a lot of time with Club Ruka, so that's why I ask. Um, they, you know, it's, you know, I was talking about this earlier. One of the biggest shocks to the system of players coming and playing in Major League Soccer is the travel distances in this country. Mm -hmm. That is a shocking thing because you can drive a lot of places in Europe and there, there's a whole lot of that or getting on a train and it's incredibly hard on the player pool in this country to, to have to fly all over. It's the second most traveled league in the entire world outside of Brazil, Major League Soccer, because we have three teams in Canada. More specifically to Dallas, though, um, we, we, we have the very good fortune of having a great asset in our community w with regards to transportation and the institutional knowledge that we have there and with all the events we have. So we will be providing for all ticket holders of any match free transportation, free, free public transportation on the train system. That's already been committed. Uh, so if you have a match ticket, you will be able to travel for free on that. You also will have a gigantic busing in and out. at t Stadium has a really neat feature. They have a control room where they can monitor all the transit in and out of the stadium. I haven't seen it in any other stadium. I've seen every NFL stadium now. Um, and we have a, a great job of being able to manage that transportation in and out we can close highways, which they've done before, and make sure that the traffic is one way in, one way out. And also, if they're stalled vehicles, we can manage that with a fleet of uh, tow trucks and things like that. So there is a big plan. We have the, the just really good fortune of a lot of institutional knowledge on that, but there's already been that uh, commitment from the Transportation Authority to comp 
a lot of public transportation to make sure that fans can get there. So that was all part of our plan to FIFA, which is totally unique. No, no other city is doing that, the best of our knowledge. And I'll pull back the curtain here. When, when it was Michael Morris who oversees transportation. Does anybody know Michael here? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he is. I, so I'm sorry to interrupt. No. I, you, you put me in headgear here. I feel like I've got a retainer <laughs> on with a microphone, and I, I'm, I, you just, I'm just talking. It, 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 Michael is an amazing guy, and he has been here forever. And his knowledge of how to do this, FIFA said after their visit here, they said he is the best mm -hmm. in the entire bid understanding public transportation. They said there is nobody who understands it better and how to get fans in and out of the stadium. I was also, and I have an unbelievably cool photo on my phone. We were sitting at the Super Bowl, and Gianni Infantino was there, who's the head of FIFA. He, he swung by to see me for a quarter, and we're talking about Dallas 2026 and, and everything, and he's there talking with my mom, introducing himself, and we have this great phone uh, photo on my phone. I said, Johnny, here's the thing is, we're going to do this with trains. We're going to do it with buses. It's going to be comped. We can control the traffic. And with working with the Rangers and working with Six Flags, we can also park 30,000 cars. Mm -hmm. Everyone who's credentialed will also get complimentary transportation. But when Michael mentioned that during the FIFA presentation, in the follow-up Q&A, Colin Smith, who really helps oversee the bid selection process, said that sound you heard when you mentioned that, Michael, was the microphone dropping and our jaws dropping because we were shocked when you said that. It's, it's hard to really underscore just how important that aspect of this is. I know we're so mindful of everybody's time here and we're approaching time. I, have I come from a question. long line of talk. Yeah. <laughs> My mother and grandmother talked a lot, so please forgive yeah, me. We have another one over here, Kirsten. Has the mic. Hi, good evening. Thank you so much for this wonderful uh, conversation. Uh, I'm Cecilia Nip. I'm the director of global relationships at Ursuline Academy, the girls' school, which has its own distinctive uh, soccer history. Um, but actually, I'm thinking back to when I was a young person. I volunteered in '94 as well, and it had such an influence on me. And I'm very much uh, with my colleague Angel, who's here with me. We're already trying to talk to our students about this is a tremendous event. We're excited that this next World Cup is taking place during a school year for the first time. So we'll actually be able to incorporate that into some of our school celebrations because I want those girls to be involved when it comes to Dallas in 26. So I'd just love to hear more about how young people can be involved mm -hmm. and what the volunteering is going to be like because I have some crazy stories we can talk about later from my time volunteering in 94. And I just would love to see our students and other young people have that opportunity. Uh, well, well, thanks for saying hi. And my niece is a graduate, uh, 2018 Gracie Hunt. So she, she was, yeah. So she, she was a, a graduate of Ursuline. And you're right. The soccer program at Ursuline is spectacular. It, it is one of these great assets of our community. The success, the amount of great players that have come there. And, and again, it goes back to this rich soccer history we have here. Jimmy, how many volunteers do we have for the Dallas Cup? Sorry to call you out. What do we, what do we do? How many? 2,500. I bet we'll need 10,000 for, for a World Cup, and we will make an effort to work with all the schools. So I'm a St. Mark's graduate, um, but there are many schools in, in the Metroplex that have students that we can get involved. And, you know, it's, it, it's really – bidding is very unique on this because we have something – 
we live in the best state for business. I'm sorry. It just is. And from a sports side and entertainment side, we have the Texas Trust Fund, which helps make these events possible. Um, and again, Monica Paul has been working on this, and we were down in Austin working on this. We have this unbelievable advantage over all these other states to recruit events, and the Texas Trust Fund is going to be involved here. But we also have a lot of young people who want to be involved and a lot of volunteers and the great history of the Dallas Cup here in the Metroplex. I got to play in the Dallas Cup twice coming through and it, it's such a special thing. And so I, I just think this community is going to come together and we will need lots of volunteers and we'll be reaching out across the board to get people involved. Um, you know, our hospitality is is world famous. In fact, when we had FIFA here, we put them all in black cowboy hats um, and so that everybody knew who was with FIFA. And I had the whole audience say, hey, howdy, y'all, to welcome. And, and, and that was right before I applied them with Mambo Taxis. But, but, they, but they got the full effect of what it's like to be in Texas. And volunteers are key. And this is a community where there is so much giving. If you look at the philanthropic giving too that occurs in this community it's it's really unique you don't see that in a lot of a lot of pieces a lot of places there are people who really genuinely care about this community they care about their fellow citizens and they understand the importance of this so we'll be coming to Arsland. we'll be coming to disd schools we'll be coming to richardson plano frisco we'll be asking for help uh, for this because again this is to have the opportunity whether it's a semifinal or final, um, and you guys know how I feel about this, but people remember where those semifinals and finals are. And that legacy lasts for a lifetime. And to have that opportunity to do this for our city, and, and you know, people have asked me, and they said, well, will this be your legacy? No, it's not a legacy. It's about our citizens enjoying the benefit of living in such a wonderful community. It has nothing to do with a personal legacy it has to do with a community legacy. We're showing off our city to the entire world. We get that opportunity to do that, to make our city a better place. This is one of the greatest cities in the entire world. And sometimes I think, you know, we take it for granted. We all travel. I love to travel um, and see cities, but Dallas is home. And Dallas is a really special place, and, and the, the people here are so warm and so wonderful, and the business community here is so amazing, and these are things that are going to continue to elevate our great city. I think you summed it up perfectly, but sports is truly woven into the fabric of our community, all of our communities here in North Texas. And it was so neat to hear you share everything. But most importantly, thank you for being such a wonderful, engaged and, and interested uh, group. Because, we, we, again, we could talk for another hour or two here, but we want to be or so three, mindful. Or three or four yeah. or five. <laughs> we want to be so mindful it, of your time, but thank it, you so much. Thank you. We are going to be waiting with bated breath for late May, early June. Mm -hmm. Can't wait to hear that news. Also, we, uh, so one of our main pillars of work is speaker programs. Another main pillar is our education program. We work with over 70 high schools every academic year, over 7,000 students, over 1,000 teachers. We'd love to support you and work with you. They're junior world affairs councils. They're very plugged into international affairs. So you know we have to have a lot of soccer fans at these JWACs, as we call them. So anyway, had to make that plug. Uh, so this was a Contributors Circle and Global Forum program this evening. 
uh, most of you are in that uh, in these in these membership levels. If you're not, you should be, and I'll uh, chase you down <laughs> so that you do join us. We're so happy to be here tonight. Thank you again for joining us. Check out our website. See you next time. Thanks again. Thank you, Thank you guys. Thank you.